0: You can go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll be starting in verse 1, uh, but as you turn there, I want to offer some pastoral reflections on the Supreme Court decision on Friday to overturn Roe versus Wade. And just want to say that my thoughts with you today should be able to be summarized in the words of 1 Corinthians 16, 14, which says, let all you do be done in love. We know that Jesus taught us the two greatest commandments are to love him with everything we have and to love our neighbors, the people around us, with everything we have. And so that is true no matter where we come from on a particular issue that is so sensitive and challenging in our culture. Uh, But number one, I just want to say this, because we believe that every life is made in the image of God. We want to protect, nurture, and cherish every life. Every life being made in the image of God demands that we value, nurture, cherish, and protect every life. So it is is right for us to lament the fact that over 70 million unborn babies have been aborted in our country since 1973 this is a huge moment for life and it is appropriate for us to rejoice and to give god thanks that millions of preborn lives are going to be saved and spared because of this decision and I know many of you are feeling that kind of celebration and rejoicing in your heart as you think about that. Hopefully, all of us are, are, are rejoicing over the, the, the saving of preborn lives. And yet, we want to step back and recognize that we should always be sensitive to the stories and convictions of others, including in our own church family. So number two, I wanna say this, because we believe every life is made in the image of God, we will treat women and men facing unexpected crisis pregnancies with compassion, humility, and grace. We must not assume we know much less understand someone else's story. Even the Bible tells us in Proverbs 14, verse 10, that the heart knows its own bitterness. So we want to be sensitive to the stories of others. Uh, Consider this, 76% of women who choose abortion would tell you that they would have taken another route if they believed that the circumstances would have allowed it. And one of the the realities that I'm waking up to more and more as I journey as a follower of Jesus and a pastor is this. Statistics would tell us, studies would show that one in four women by the age of 45 will experience and choose an abortion. But did you know that four out of ten of those are regular attenders in a church? And 16% of those women, in fact, only 16% of those women who regularly attend a church will share their story with someone else before making a decision. This, this tells us that, that we are not being enough of a safe space for people to open up and share the deepest struggles and challenges of their lives lives. And so we want to be a church full of compassion and humility and grace. If you are facing an unwanted pregnancy or the pain of a past decision, please know that Redemption Health Church is here for you. We want to serve you. We want to point you to professional help. And we will offer assistance in every way that we can to make sure that you get the help that you need. But then number three, listen, because we want our love to run in every direction, we will continue to support great ministries like the Boston Center for Pregnancy Choices as well as our own foster care and adoption ministries and our Benevolence Fund that helps those in need. And then finally, number four, I think uh, you're, you're going to be on board with that. this and we're going to practice this in just a moment. Because we value every life made in the image of God, we will pray for God's love and strength to fill our hearts in increasing measure and to move in ways beyond our capacity toward justice and human flourishing. And so I want to give us space just to do that for a moment ask that God would continue to help us navigate the cultural complexities of our own biblical convictions with with those uh, that may differ at times with with different situations and and that uh, of our neighbors as well so let's let 's go to God in prayer as we seek His help uh, moving forward God we thank you for this decision from the Supreme Court that will inevitably save hundreds of thousands, yes, millions of the lives of preborn babies in the womb. God, we've been praying that, 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 that lives would be spared for years and years as, as the church of Jesus Christ. And so God, we rejoice today and we thank you that many, many lives will be spared and saved because of Friday's decision. And yet God, we want to be sensitive and, and, and understand that people's stories are complex and and we can't begin to know everything that people are going through that lead them to various decisions to choose life or to choose abortion. And so God, fill us with your compassion and your humility and your grace to enter in, to lend a listening ear, to offer help and support, no matter where people are coming from or ultimately what decision they make, God. You are the God of redemption and restoration. You are the God of grace and the second chance. And so as your followers, let us reflect your love and your compassion and your grace to the people around us. God, we know that even if we don't know someone who has uh, been through the horrors of abortion, God, we actually, statistically, uh, we, would, we would see that we actually do some, know someone, we just don't know the ins and outs of their story. And so God, help us to have this kind of compassion and grace. And help us continue to serve for, for, for the sake of the unborn as well as those who are navigating these experiences. God, we want to support them in every way we can. And So God, we acknowledge our, our weakness. God, we acknowledge our helplessness. And we say, God, you strengthen us. You help us. You fill us with your love. So that more and more people can see what an amazing God you are. The God we just sing about. Great are you, Lord. And your greatness should be told to the ends of the earth. And so God, equip us and help us for that today and in the days to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What we're going to find is Paul is sharing about what is near and dear to his heart when it comes to making Jesus known wherever he was sent by Jesus. And this is really the story of Redemption Hill Church. I know some of you are new to Redemption Hill and you aren't familiar with the, the backstory of how we landed here, but we moved to Medford, a church planting team of three families and a, a single young woman moved to Medford to start Redemption Hill to make Jesus known in our city so that more and more people could know the life that is found in Christ and what it means to follow him in all of life. And so this is, this is why we came, and yet uh, we, we knew that it wasn't going to be easy. We, we, we held on to the promise that Jesus gives us as Mateus prayed just a minute ago that Jesus said, I am sending you out and I will be with you Always. And this is so important because God has an enemy, and that enemy is our enemy as well. And he is going to want to stop us and oppose us from telling people about Christ and helping them follow Jesus in all of life. And so as we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in Boston as it is in heaven, we know that there is a kingdom of darkness that wants to oppose this great work of carrying God's light and love to the people around us. Jesus experienced this in his earthly ministry, not just when he was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, although we're all familiar with that story, but throughout his life, Satan was working to take him out before he would make atonement for our sins on the cross, giving us the path of life and restoration in our relationship with God. In fact, Jesus was so clear about Satan and his ways that he would say in John chapter 8, verse 44, speaking to the religious leaders who were opposing him and his truth. Did you know that Satan at times works through people, and he sends people in different ways that don't even know what's happening, and they're, they're, they're opposing God's work. But this is what Jesus spoke to those religious leaders. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Now listen to this. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. And so what I want to do today as we examine these five verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to expose four lies Satan wants you to believe about this work of being a part of God's mission and being about his assignment day by day. And so as we, as we turn to 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 through 5, my hope is that you will be ready to fight off the lies of the evil one by walking in the freedom of God's truth. Listen to what Paul says here. And I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him Crucified, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. The first lie that we see Satan would want us to believe which is contrary to what we learn about Paul's life and Paul's mission as he carries out the mission Jesus had given him to make him known all over the place. Okay, the first lie is this. People will come to you. People will come to you. What does Paul say here at the very opening words? He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, you people in Corinth who experienced the gospel through my uh, lips and, and speech, okay, listen, I came to you. I came to you because God turned my life upside down. You see, Paul was once a persecutor of the church. He once not only uh, disliked the message of Jesus, but he went so far to oppose them, to imprison followers of Christ and even approve of their death. We see this in Acts chapter 7 with the stoning of Stephen. It says that they laid their garments, those who stoned him, laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul, who we know now as Paul. And it wasn't until Paul was on the Damascus road where Jesus appeared to him in a light and he said, look, you are persecuting me and I have a different plan for you. I love you so much that I'm not only gonna give you a second chance, but I'm going to use you to tell other people about me. And this is what Paul did. He went on uh, various missionary journeys that we see captured through the book of Acts. And we know that he went to Corinth on his second missionary journey to tell people about Jesus. And you say, well, you know, uh, Tanner, you, I'm, not, I'm not the Apostle Paul, and I'm not gifted like he is, and he had all these special assignments for Jesus, but, you know, my life is different, and it's so hard, and when I'm in my neighborhood or in my workplace, no one wants to hear, and I don't know what to say, and, but, but, but listen, we have The same assignment fundamentally that Paul had because Jesus, when he calls all of us, just like Marcia and I were sharing with our kids yesterday as we started walking them through uh, our discipleship curriculum, the seven pursuits of a disciple, listen, that Jesus pursues us and he invites us to follow him and he says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so he invites us into his story, not just so that we can experience it for ourselves, but so that we can lovingly, and yes, naturally, and yes, even winsomely invite other people into this same story. And as he sends us out, we know uh, what Jesus, some of his parting words to his followers were what? Go and make disciples, the disciples the follower of Jesus. So what he's saying is help other people follow me. And as you do that, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. He says what? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we move out confident that Christ is with us, and this is so important because we have an opposer that wants us to stand still, to not move. I want to ask you this morning, are you moving toward people with the love of Christ? Are you taking the gospel message to your friends and your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, the people that you interact with in the community? Are you holding out the message of life to them? We have to wrestle with this. Listen. I, I know that the last couple of years have been difficult, and I, if you're anything like me, you know it's like maybe some of you work out all the time, and some of you are like, "Man, I haven't worked out in years, but I can tell you, if you haven't worked out in years, then you try to do some push-ups. Like, it's going to be a struggle, right? Like, your, your arms are going to be shaking because your muscles have atrophied a bit, right? And this is, this is really, for most Christians, this has been our experience through COVID, right? We're, we're locked up. We're not even seeing other people, much less having spiritual conversations with them. And so this is an opportunity to ask God to strengthen us and to get us back in line with his mission that he's called us to because he's equipped us for everything that he's called us to. We should hear the words of Romans 10, verses 13 through 15 that say this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then Paul asked these questions in Romans 10, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach or bring the good news. And and, and let me just step back and say, we we hear the word preach and it's like, oh, that's Pastor Tanner's job on Sunday morning. He is the preacher. It's like, to preach is just to announce a, a, a message. And so hopefully preaching doesn't, it shouldn't always look like this, right? It can just be a conversation over coffee or lunch, where you're just sharing your story and telling people about Christ. But what we need to recognize here is we take up the full armor of God where Paul says to the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and having on your feet the, the gospel of peace for, sh- for your shoes, for your footwear. And, and, and we just should step back for a moment and ask the question, Paul, why why are you, why is God saying in Isaiah, where Paul is quoting this in Romans 10, that how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Or why would would Paul, when he's talking about the armor of God, talk about gospel shoes, that, that we bring the gospel of peace to others? Fundamentally, we should ask the very obvious answer to the question, why did God give us feet? right? I mean, just just think think about this for a moment. How would you answer this question? Why did God give you feet? I've heard some people say, like, to stand, right? And like, our feet help us stand, but God could have given us, like, cement blocks as feet if the only job of feet were to stand, right? So, so, He gave us feet to be able to move, to be able to to enjoy life and to be able to move toward others with his love. This is why he talks about beautiful feet. This is why he talks about having gospel shoes on your feet as you put on the full armor of God. And so people, listen, people are not coming to us. One of my friends who was, Experiencing relational conflict. Listen, and, and, I, and I, I knew about it because he had shared a little bit with me, but, but listen, he wasn't going to come to me and say, hey, would you like offer your, your counsel and your support and your perspective? Like, I, I need to initiate that with him. Right? I mean, how many of you know that your neighbors aren't going to like, oh, I heard that, you know, uh, Preeti and Ashley and, you know, like, care uh, like, they're, they're followers of Jesus, so like, you get a knock at the door. It's like, hey, I heard you're a Christian. Like, will you study the Bible with me? Can we like, study the Gospel of John so I can learn about Jesus? It's like they don't even know there's a Gospel of John, right? And if they did, they don't, they don't care right now. And so we have to go to people because people are not coming to us. But what I found is this, and what you know is this, that, that people, while they're not asking you to tell them about your beliefs about Christ, they are willing to talk about their interests, their loves, what frustrates them, what excites them, what's happening in their lives. And as we're going to see in a moment, listen, any of those opportunities can be opportunities to sow little seeds of the gospel of life as you are doing life with them. And so I want to encourage you this summer, listen, as you go about your summer, as you're at the beach, listen, God's going to maybe tap you on the shoulder and say, strike up a conversation with them. Or as you're hanging out with with friends and and the Holy Spirit's going to just tap you on the shoulder and say, it's time. It's time to ask them a question about their life where maybe God will open a door for you to serve them and to give them the hope that you know. Or maybe as you're serving people this summer and, and you're, you're, you're serving food to the, to the hungry, uh, it's, the Holy Spirit's going to say, ask them about their life. Ask them about their family. Listen, we need to learn the value of just asking simple questions that open up conversation for us to love people, not just go up and start quoting the scriptures to them and the Bible and telling them the plan of salvation, no. But to just actually treat them like a real person to get to know their name, to take an interest in their life. And to, as God leads us, open up and share the good news with them. And so Satan is going to tell you, listen, people will come to you, but we know that God has called us to move toward them in his love. But then the second lie that Satan wants us to believe is this, the cross is not enough. The cross is not enough. What what is going on here in the context of Corinthians, we've seen this the first two weeks as we have starting to study this book, is that there was division within the church of Corinth because people were attaching themselves to particular leaders in the church. And one of the reasons for this was, is Corinth was a culture that valued communicators, all right? So, um, you know, in the first century, there weren't like, you know, these amazing, like go to Fenway Park and watch the socks or, you know, go to this music venue and the stadium's packed. It's like, there wasn't that kind of entertainment. And so where people received their entertainment value was actually by following these orators around who could turn a phrase and who could capture an audience and who could deliver with such passion that you just hung on every word. They knew how to use humor and, and, and tell stories and all of these things that captivated a crowd. And so they would follow these particular public speakers until another one came along It's was like, oh, he's a little bit better than... Than them. And so it's like now we'll follow this this person and 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 listen to their polished, beautiful rhetoric. And so Paul is, is pushing back against that kind of performance-based uh, speech, and he's saying, when I come to you, I'm not coming with lofty speech. In, in other words, he's not trying to sound profound, okay? He's not, like, trying to show how, how eloquent he is and, and get on, you know, Achaia's got talent. Anyone watch America's got talent? Like, this is kind of, this is kind of the, the, the mindset of these, you know, performers as they were drawing a crowd. And Paul's saying, that's not my motive when I come to you. In fact, my motive is not lofty speech, nor is it wisdom, And he's not talking about biblical wisdom here that differentiates truth from error, right from wrong, that leads us to the path of life. He's talking about the wisdom that would say this philosophical system and explanation of our world is the most valid. And so you need to listen to to this line of philosophical thought or this line of philosophical thought. And they would call that their wisdom of the public speakers as they were sharing their oratory. But Paul says, look, we came, in verse 1, we came proclaiming, announcing the testimony of God. He came announcing the news about Jesus, and he says that it was a testimony. In other words, to to testify is to bear witness, is to communicate what you have experienced in your life. And, And we need to get back to this as followers of Christ where... It's just sharing our story, sharing the difference that God makes in our lives that so often that can be the launching point, the starting point for spiritual conversations. When people experience something different about you, that you have a peace, when everything else is kind of swirling around and things are going on at work and everyone's upset, but you're calm. And you have an opportunity to testify about your faith in God and the peace that he gives you when you're walking through challenges, when you're going through trials in life, that God is with you, that you have a hope beyond this life. All of these are moments where we can testify to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We proclaim the testimony of God, and primarily the testimony of God is is not just how it makes a difference in our lives, but it's the actual message of what Paul says in verse 2, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Look at what he says in verse 2. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Some translations would say, for I resolved to know nothing among you. What Paul is saying is, I made a decision. That, that I am going to stay focused on the main thing, that, that Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us on the cross is the centerpiece of my message. And while Satan wants to get me to change the subject because he's gonna say, the cross isn't enough and you need to talk about, you need to be more relevant and you need to you know, tell uh, more personal you know, stories that, that aren't attached to the good news of Christ, he is saying, no, I am gonna keep Focused on the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And just a a quick observation here Uh, we couldn't mistake Paul for saying that he only talks about the cross that he's only, uh, when he preaches, his message is only about the cross, that, that we're not, you know, we're not getting into the resurrection, we're not getting into the life of Christ, but that would be wrong for a few different reasons, okay? Number one, Paul says, I just des- resolved to know nothing. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ. So he's <laughs> preaching the totality of the life of Christ, that the son of God became a son of man in the uh, form of a virgin birth through a woman named Mary. And he lived a perfect life, sinless, which enabled him not only to uh, do the works of God and to tell the story of God, but to die in our place on the cross and then rise from the dead and ascend back to God in heaven. And all of this is the story of Jesus Christ. So so when Paul says, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, we know that everything leads us to the cross and everything flows out of the cross. So the cross is the centerpiece of our message, is what we keep coming back to again and again and again. But there's one more reason why Paul says, I resolve to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Is because the, 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 again, what, what were the orators trying to do? And the people in Corinth, they were trying to draw crowds, and so they would tell people what? what they want to hear. You want to draw a crowd? Just tell people what they want to hear. But Paul goes to the most countercultural aspect of the message of Jesus when he keeps bringing back up the death of the Messiah. I mean, no one expects the hero, the deliverer of the world to die, much less die a death on a Roman cross. The orator Cicero would say that the cross should not even be spoken of by Roman lips. And so this is why Paul keeps going back. He has nothing to hide. In fact, he is saying, as Pastor John reminded us last week, yes, the cross is offensive. And yes, it it comes against our sensibilities, uh, both naturally and even spiritually. And yet, it is the path of God's salvation. It is the path to life. And so while people will want us to change the subject and while Satan will do whatever he can to get us to go in a thousand different directions, Paul says we have to keep coming back to the cross of Christ. I want to show you a simple diagram and give you just a little tool. We've visited this before uh, in our church, but I want to share it with you again. This is called the Three Circles uh, Diagram, the Life Conversation Guide. It's a way that we can get to the cross, the gospel, really from any conversation under the sun. And I hope you'll really uh, take this in and and understand and and see that, that really sharing our faith doesn't have to be as difficult as we feel like it is. Because what it tells us is that God's heart, God's design for our world was for wholeness and for flourishing. It was that we would experience life the way that we long for it to be, where everything is in harmony. There is peace with God and people. There is harmony between people and other people, that everything is full of joy and love and all of the things that our hearts long for. And so when we see reflections in the world of God's design, it's an opportunity to say, yes, that's the way God wants it to be. This is, this is the world God made us for. When we see uh, harmony and, and, and expressions of love and all of these things, we can point to God's design and say, this is his plan. But you and I both know that there are so many times when we don't experience God's design in his heart, but we experience this squiggly line chaos or brokenness. When when things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, where things aren't the way that we long for them to be, just turn on the news and all of the, 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 the brokenness of our world is on full display. And so it's an opportunity for us to say, listen, God didn't want it to be this way, but because we ran from God, because of our sin, we experience brokenness in life, brokenness in our relationships. And we all look for ways to find our way out of the brokenness, these arrows that lead to nothing. We think that if we get educated enough, that the world will uh, all come together and be harmonious. We think if we have enough money or resources, that if we can just chase after the, 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 the endless pursuit of pleasure that ultimately we're going to be satisfied. And yet we've discovered that we're still searching for more. We're still longing for more. That it's only through the cross of Jesus Christ that we get back to God's design. And so we kneel before God. We uh, repent and believe in Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us so that now we can experience God's design again. And this is, listen, this is what every human heart longs for. Jesus came, lived, died, rose again, and ascended to the Father to deliver the life that we all long for. If someone is looking for satisfaction, we remember the words of Jesus to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 13, when, she, when he says, Listen, uh, I will give you uh, water and you'll never thirst again. The peace that we long for with God and with others. Uh, God, God says in Romans 5 that we can have peace with him by being justified through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The joy that we want to experience on a daily basis. Jesus actually says that he came to give us fullness of joy in John chapter 15 verse 11 if you want possessions and security in our hearts, we all long for a measure of security even through possessions, right? It's okay to admit that. We all do. We all all need certain things in life to to move forward in life. Well, guess what? We're going to see next week in 1 Corinthians, or two weeks from now in chapter chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, all things are yours through Jesus Christ. And so, we need to put our confidence in the cross. We don't uh, believe the lie that the cross is not enough, but we keep looking to Christ and his cross. But then the third lie that Satan wants us to believe is this, is that we should rely on our own strength. Rely on your own strength. Listen, Satan is going to say, you have to be smart enough. You have to be skilled enough enough. You have to be strong enough. And we get this as, as people who live in Boston, uh, one of the smartest and strongest cities in the world, right? It's like, we, we feel like we have to measure up. We feel like we have to perform. We, have to, we feel like we have to be good enough. But Paul is saying, I'm not relying on these things. In fact, the way that I came to you, Corinthians, was what? Look what, how he puts it in verse 3. He says, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Now, what does Paul mean when he says, I was with you in weakness? Perhaps he's talking about his way of life, that Paul, when he rolled into Corinth, that he wasn't like, hey, I'm, I'm here to share the good news. And even though I could be compensated uh, for bringing you the gospel, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make full use of my rights as he'll tell us in in Acts chapter 9. Instead, I'm going to make tents so that I'm not dependent on your financial generosity, but I'm just dependent on my own effort to to freely share the gospel with you free of charge. And so Paul may be talking about his, just how he lived uh, from one job to the next. Perhaps he's speaking of his physical needs. We sometimes forget that Paul was beaten and stoned and left for dead on multiple occasions. And so maybe he's speaking of his physical weakness. Perhaps he's speaking of his spiritual uh, weakness. He says that he's uh, fighting spiritual battles day after day after day. Just go read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. But likely it's all of the above. It's it's Paul's situation, his life. It's his physical weakness. his spiritual weakness. He's saying, "I, I live with you in weakness so that I would rely on the strength of God. And I I live with you in fear and trembling. And we may be tempted to think, well, he's talking about fearing God. And the Bible tells us to to fear God. In other words, to to so respect and revere God that we walk in his ways as we follow Christ. But it seems that Paul's talking about like actual fears, like being scared at times of what we're going through. And even Jesus shows up in Acts chapter 18 when Paul's in Corinth and he says, do not fear, Paul, but go on telling people about who I am. And that's when Paul stayed another 18 months in the city. And so Paul is sharing the message in weakness and fear and much trembling. And he says that my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom That The New Living Translation uh, is helpful when it says, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Paul is doing here, we have to, again, interpret scripture with scripture. He's not saying that his message wasn't wise. I mean, Paul here in the early chapters of Corinthians is clearly building an argument for unity, right? So he knew how to to build an argument. He knew how to give reasonable words and put uh, together a a story that, that would make sense to the hearers and persuade them. He even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So, Paul is not saying that he's not using reasonable words, but he's not bringing these words in, in the kind of wisdom that the others are bringing it. But he's bringing it in dependence, not on himself, but on the Holy Spirit and the power of God. What Paul is doing is he is denying that his efforts to persuade were dependent on him or his presentation rather than his message. He's he's saying, don't look to, 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 to me, the messenger. Don't look to the way that I'm organizing what I'm saying because I am just communicating the truth about Jesus so that when you hear this message, you are believing it because God is opening your eyes and helping you to believe. And so as we move out, as we move toward people with the message of the cross, we go out with what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 when he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay, in in ordinary vessels, it could be like a cardboard box today, nothing special about it. Uh, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We move out in weakness so that God can be strong. We, we even move out in fear so that God can supply the courage and the, 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 the fearlessness to keep telling others about him. And so Paul rejects self-reliance. He doesn't hold on to the lie that we should rely on our own strength, number three, and then finally, number four, the, thir- the fourth lie is this: You should not expect the spirit's power. You should not expect the Spirit's power. Look one more time at verse 4 where Paul says, my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. In other words, what, what Paul is, is doing here, he's saying to, to de- demonstrate something is to show something. But it's more than just to kind of put it out there and hope that someone understands how valuable it is. But Paul is saying, I am demonstrating in such a way that I am giving compelling evidence to the truthfulness of the message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when he speaks of the spirit and of power, Paul is almost using these words interchangeably so much so that the NIV would translate it, the spirit's power. What Paul is doing here is this, he's, he's saying, in everything that I do, I am seeking to rely on the strength and the power of God's spirit so that when I share the message, people know this is God who is moving their heart and pulling them in to the life of Jesus Christ. He does this and it says in verse 5, so that, here's the purpose, that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. As Pastor John explained last week, real wisdom and real power belong to God. This verse here, verse 5, actually forms an inclusio. It means that it, it is summing up what was started at the beginning in the same kind of language in verse 18 of chapter 1 when Paul says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross, the, the wisdom of God, the power of God. When we share, we want to, people to experience Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God, the power of god and so as we move out day by day as we go into our relationships and our workplaces in our neighborhoods and as we have fun this summer enjoying the new england weather we have to ask ourselves are we living with the power of god there is a lie within the lie here. When, when Satan says you should not expect the Spirit's power, that another lie would be that we've received all of the Spirit's power that we're ever going to receive when we come to faith in Christ. But as Jesus taught us to ask God for his Holy Spirit, we continue to ask for more and more of God's Spirit as we move out day by day because there is always more of God to give when he gives us himself. And so as you move out, listen, as you move out this summer, as you think about the real people in your life that you really care about, that you really want to enter into eternity with you one day. They're not going to get home because you are so strong or you are so smart or you are so skilled or you are so eloquent. They're going to get there because you love them enough to move toward them, to build a relationship over time and to just sow seeds of life and love in the message of Jesus Christ. So that one day they too will believe in him and experience the treasure that is found in Christ alone. So, as we move toward a time of response and prayer, I just want to ask you what lie or lies are you believing? Do you believe that people are going to come to you so much so that you find yourself just kind of standing still in your spiritual journey, not moving toward them in love? Do you find that there's a temptation to just kind of change the topic and the subject and and never get to the message of Christ and Him crucified? Maybe, Maybe you're moving toward people, and yet you're doing it in your own strength, not expecting the Spirit's power. There's an opportunity for us today to confess that to God. To say, God, I've been believing lies that the enemy wants to feed in my ears. And so, God, I need you to help me to not believe the lies, but to walk in the freedom of your truth. That's my encouragement for us today, family. Don't believe the lies, but move toward people. Knowing the cross is enough. Relying on Jesus and expecting the Spirit's power. Let's pray and let's ask God to help us to hear his voice of truth as we seek to live for Christ and Christ alone. Father, we ask that in these moments we would reject the lies of the evil one who wants to hold us back, who who wants to pull us away from the people that you've intentionally placed in our lives and us in their lives. To not love them in your name with your truth, God, but to to hold us back, God, help us to believe what is true. That you've called us to move toward people in love with the simple message of Jesus Christ and him crucified relying on the strength that you give us in those moments, believing and expecting that your Holy Spirit is going to work and move. God, I ask that you would impress this upon our hearts today. God, I don't assume that this message has been delivered with some kind of uh, you know, phenomenal eloquence or you know, spiritual force, and yet, God, I trust that your Holy Spirit is going to take it and pierce our hearts so that we join you in the love mission that you want to fulfill in the city of Boston. And so God, help us to to see and believe your truth and to walk in it day by day so that more and more people can know who you are and experience the life Jesus died to bring us. We pray in his name, amen.